To another edition of Pod Clubhouse's Love It or Leave. This is for Cobra Kai season four. It just recently dropped on Netflix after a kind of a craptastic um, winter season and a substandard holiday. We were pleasantly surprised to see Cobra Kai waiting for us one night. We just, at our, my house in a way, just digested it all at once. Joining me for this Love It or Leave It, we welcome back to the show after a, a short time away, Danny from ATX Gossip. Hi, thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back. And we have George, who you might recall from the last time we gave Cobra Kai our Love It or Leave It appraisal. Welcome back, George. Hey, thank you very much. If you go and look at who made this, Josh Held and um, John Hurwitz and Ralph Macchio and William or Billy to his friends, <laughs> Zabka, this is what they're really invested in. Where we left off from season three. So basically, my wife had never seen Cobra Kai and I had been raving about it since 20, when was it, 2018 it came out. So two weeks before season four came out, we started binging it. She watched the first episode. She was hooked. And we watched all three seasons until like two days before the uh, new season came out. So uh, so we last left off in season three, where basically the three older sensei wanted to were killing each other, basically. Uh, <laughs> so Johnny confronts uh, Kreese. They get into like a full-on scuffle. And Kreese nearly kills him with like um, a sigh. And then Daniel comes to his rescue using his Miyagi-Do magic and nearly kills Kreese. He was about to kill Kreese when his kids came in. And then they all made an agreement to handle it at the tournament. Whoever wins the tournament does karate for the valley and the other the other one has to leave, basically. Isn't it crazy how like the all valley tournament has become like the Super Bowl of all things important in the world? Uh, yeah. I mean, in my area, I can't... I can't admit to knowing that much about the karate scene <laughs> locally, <laughs> but it seems like a very big deal in the Valley. It's California. I'm, I'm here in New York, so I'm just, I'm, I'm all East coast. So that stuff is just alien to me. Right. It's all uh, brass knuckles and chains and stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was especially a big deal to the announcer. He was really intense. Yes, for sure. And he was he was a part of, I guess, like the um, the Valley Recreational the Center. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the karate board. I guess. I guess if that's a thing. But uh, yes, more drama in that karate board than I've ever seen in any other board meeting of any of any sort. Exactly. They were they were really working for their own spinoff. They were like, come on, like us. <laughs> It'd be great. An office spinoff. That'd be pretty intense. Right. The uh, various politics behind the uh, the false smiles and uh, 
facades of the board members, which did return. Like they have multiple season credits on the show. So uh, I mean, I don't remember them very much from past uh, seasons, but they were there. The plot picks up exactly where season three leaves off, where these grown adults, all 50 and older... <laughs> have have somehow pinned their professional success uh on this on their kids on the on these kids um and their karate skills it's not a spoiler to ask how is it that johnny lawrence made any income during this whole season if he was doing this karate the whole time right there are a lot of questions <laughs> about johnny lawrence <laughs> I assume he's the super of the apartment complex. That's kind of my assumption, but I don't think he's making, I don't think he's rolling in the dough. Oh, come yeah. on. I think we all know that he hides his cash under his mattress from the karate dojo. That's where he keeps, that's where his stash is. No bank, no nothing. That's what he was living on. That sounds like his style. So characters and casting this season, we pretty much got all of the characters back that we did last season. We actually saw Aisha again for one episode who had been kind of written out at a certain point in the past mm-hmm. few seasons. Unfortunately. Added two new characters. One of the antagonists of Karate Kid 3, one Terry Silver, returns. His name is Thomas Ian Griffith, and he has returned to play the psychopathic <laughs> friend of John Kreese's Terry Silver. And we also added a younger actor playing a character named Kenny. What did you guys think of this direction this season? Adding uh, another nostalgic character and another new character to tie into the younger uh, LaRusso generation. So I'll be honest with you guys. When I saw Terry Silver, I was like, oh my God, has this show jumped the shark already? Because I wasn't a huge fan of Karate Kid 3. It wasn't the best of the three. Yeah, It wasn't the best around, as they might say. (laughs) Good. I like it. I like it. But seeing how the character developed, how the storyline developed, and what they're setting up for the next season, I was on board after a couple of episodes with him. He was just such a caricature previously. Mm. They did a better job writing his character for this than Karate Kid 3. And then with the kid, I actually, I really like that addition because they were kind of, they're running out of storylines a bit with the other younger cast. Right. It's all karate all the time with them, right? Yeah. And and like the drama, like how many times, I feel like I'm watching like the OC or, you know, 90210. Like how many times are we going to go back with these relationships? Like, I love you. I love you. You know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I see what they're doing there. They want to give the this show a little bit more longevity so i think they were they were good additions for that purpose i'd have to agree um, it's a smart smart decision to start with another new generation i expect season what is it five to have even more younger kids about kenny's age to come on and you know anthony russo as well being the next next line since all the all the other kids the older kids are all like what 17 in the show and going to be 18 or something in the show in reality uh in reality like 40 or something well uh, samantha (laughs) is 25 oh yeah look well it's like it's the 90210 thing all the people who are on 90210 were you know in their 40s and 50s and they were playing (laughs) listen none of them are as bad as the outer banks the main kid in the outer banks being 29 29 wow <laughs> i know that because i thought he was cute and then i looked up his age and i didn't feel so bad <laughs> that's comforting right <laughs> i was a little worried with the addition of kenny i'm tend to be a viewer for serialized shows that 
that likes to know that the writers have um, something that they're aiming for and not necessarily just we're going to run it until it runs dry. And so when I see the addition of a new character and picking up uh, a character like uh, Anthony, who has basically just been snarky and eating popsicles this whole time, I, I felt worried that that they were starting to to milk things, but they tied it in in a way that we can mention after we give our verdicts that then made more sense and was a reasonable extension of the show. But I, I was worried at first. And then the Terry Silver part, part of what this show has done successfully for me as a, as a watcher who doesn't take this show, I think I take it with the right amount of seriousness. <laughs> the, the seriousness level that they're aiming for, I think, is what I'm what I'm giving them. And, and in that, when they make these dramatic choices to add backstory and texture to these various characters, such as the relationship between Increase in silver that was already outlined in the movie and uh, previous seasons. They're doing it effectively for me. It, you know, it's it is a little melodramatic, but it's also enough. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I trust the show writers at this point. Uh, after three seasons, as you said, you give it the right amount of seriousness, <laughs> which is not that much seriousness, but enough. So, yeah, I trusted them with the character of Silver that they were going to do it right, do a little bit of justice, not be that maniacal, like cackling madman that he was in the in Karate Kid Part Three. Yeah, right. My watching partner, Caroline, hadn't seen Karate Kid 3. If she had, it didn't stand out in her memory. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, no, it was the one with that girl who wasn't a love interest. <laughs> yeah. What was that? Anyway. I guess they didn't read the playbook on how to make an 80s movie. If you have a girl that's the same age as the lead guy, guess what? She's a love interest. It's just kind of the way it was written back then. But nope, not Karate Kid 3. That girl is Blake Lyle. Lively's sister. Oh, is she? Yeah, Robin Lively. She was actually in a ton of 80s, 90s stuff. She was Teen Witch. I remember Teen Witch. I remember her from Karate Kid 3 and I thought, you know, this is a cute girl. How come I haven't seen her more often? And then it was just like, that was it. Yeah, she's actually in a ton of stuff and she's super connected in Hollywood if you follow her on like a TikTok or Instagram, whatever I follow her on. Um, and her husband was the coach in High School Musical. So they've got all these... 80s, 90s celebrity friends. It's kind of fun to see them pop up in her videos. I wonder if they might get a, a future alley sort of uh, resurfacing. I think it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. She's that level of star. I think <laughs> we, we can't expect it. <laughs> well, speaking of the way things looked and worked in this, this season, they have a formula for the way it's the way that the episodes link together, that's been working. And I didn't perceive any kind of tweaks or big deviations from that, except for the first season. And it may just have been by virtue of being the first, that it seemed to be more rife with nostalgia, you know, more callbacks, more this and that, reminding me of the time period where Karate Kid came from. And even uh, Johnny Lawrence seemed to have a lot more of those Johnny Lawrence-isms, not knowing how things work now. Whereas in this, he still had them. It wasn't like a nostalgia fest for me. Uh, I definitely noticed it. And I think it's goes back to what you guys were talking about, how this has the correct amount of seriousness, because I don't think it did originally. I thought it was kind of cheesy. It was a <laughs> lot of nostalgia. That's very fair. 
it was like a show that was like so bad it was good for me. And I do think in the last two seasons, it has become more of a real show. So I think they've purposely cut back on some of that because they're trying to be taken more seriously. But also this younger generation that follows all these kids, I mean, think the most of the show is led by young actors. And you know, those young actors, they don't know nothing about the original Karate Kid. No, that's for sure. It's true. Yeah, what you're saying is very true. I also think they're also running out of nostalgia content. So there's only, what, three Karate Kid movies, if you're not counting the next Karate Kid. Like, they've basically been through all the points. In season three, they were talking about Karate Kid 3 ad nauseum. How much more are they going to draw back from? They need that Kenny character to create new content, new stories, moving forward on Daniel and Johnny's progression. The older actors such as the man who plays Miguel, the older teen, I mean to say, actors. I was going to say, that's the older actor? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, definitely Miguel looked a little more man-sized than high school-sized. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he had some big muscles there. I, I guess off screen, he is might be preparing for the Blue Beetle, which is a superhero role that he is taking giving himself the Zachary Levi treatment. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Peyton List, she's always acting in, in something. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually kind of doing a deep dive. I'm the one who usually knows the actors from really weird things. You know, I'm always like, oh yeah, that person was in Teen Witch 2 or something stupid like that. <laughs> Honestly, of all of these younger actors on the show, I didn't even realize that I had seen the Miguel actor before, who I guess is Zolo, X-O-L-O. -O. I'm not sure how to say that. He was on Parenthood, but I didn't even recognize him because he mm -hmm. was so young on Parenthood. Of the rest, the only one I recognized was Tanner, who plays Robbie, because he had been on Designated Survivor and The Fosters. And since he started this show, he did the, the remake He's All That, the remake of She's All That. I saw that. Uh, I mean, Wait, I you, you I saw that he did about. it or you saw the movie? <laughs> <laughs> no, not neither. Oh, yeah. Just tossing back the popcorn on He's All That. Huh? I did see the movie, which should be no surprise to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, how was he? Was he all that? He was good. The girl is a TikTok star. The girl part. She actually did better than I expected, but he was good. Yeah, except I'm never going to buy that kid as a nerd. But <laughs> isn't that, I mean, but look at the original She's All That. It was like, oh, Lainey, we'll take off your glasses and put a dress on you and you're gorgeous. Right. These overalls, <laughs> ponytail. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense, though, with those actors, whether or not they're portrayed as juniors or seniors or whatever in high school, they, they may have other interests that <laughs> draw them away from the show. They do all have quite a few credits, which was surprising to me. I thought when I looked them up, it was going to be like, oh, they've done like five things, maybe one series. And actually, between Robbie, even that Kenny kid, Kenny, Robbie, Miguel, Peyton, Samantha, Hawk, they all have a ton of credits to their name. I was impressed. I had no idea. Even Anthony LaRusso's actor, uh, Griffin Santo Pietro, has plenty of credits already, several even just last year. Well, and the fact that that first season, I feel like they didn't even have that much. I mean, I know not all these kids were featured in the first season, but that first season, I feel like they didn't even have that much of a budget when it was just on YouTube. But maybe they did. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn. It's tough to say because, you know, on some of YouTube put out a few things all at once. They weren't lacking for real Hollywood names in some of them. You know, they had Doug Lyman making that Jumper reboot series. 
And they had Tom Felton in his show, you know, Draco Malfoy, like a science fiction show. And then they had this. And then they had uh, a couple other things that are less notorious. But that's not inexpensive to get those kinds of people. I didn't know Tom Felton was in a show, but now I need to go watch it because I love me some Draco Malfoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's in, he's in a, a science fiction show. I forget who adopted it because, you know, like all of those shows went somewhere else, but they didn't all go the same place. Right. If you haven't seen Wayne, I'd watch Wayne. Wayne is a pretty, it was one of YouTube's shows that um, it has the guy who plays Mayhem from the various insurance commercials. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in it. And then what's that girl's name? Sierra Bravo, I think her name is in, in that uh, Tom Holland movie that was on Apple TV from the Russo brothers. Cherry, I think it was. George, since your wife was new to the universe, was there any drop off in interest or desire to keep going with the show once you reached four? No, they were upset that it ended. She was really upset that it ended. She really liked it. We would stay up every night, like till like two in the morning, show after show after show, like episode after episode after episode. And uh, when season four ended, and then we gleefully saw that it's coming back for a season five. Our hearts settled a little bit. <laughs> she wanted uh, more. She was like urging for more. <laughs> if you were to give your own love it or leave it ranking, would it? What would you say? Oh, it's really hot there. I, I I really enjoy the show. I thought this season was better than season uh, two. It was like se- like or season three. I thought it was very well put together. I'm really enjoying it, and I really want to see what happens next. Kind of pissed it was only 13 episodes or whatever it was which was like 47 episodes this season that's what i feel like it was only 10 i feel like it wasn't even it was long enough i think it was 10 yeah oh Oh, that makes me even more pissed i mean this is one of those shows where i feel like i would have to weigh the person like their personality and what like kind of like what do you already watch you know to kind (laughs) of decide if it's worth it for them it also, you have to stick with it. And I think there were some parts of, I think it was season two, where I started thinking, all right, this is kind of silly. This is too extreme. I mean, two was when they got in the big school fight. Mm-hmm. The karate war. Yeah, the karate war. That's when I was kind of like, this is a little over the top. <laughs> that was another reference to 80s movie. So again, I kind of asked my friends, I'll be like, oh, are you watching Cobra Kai? Or, and if based on their personality, I'll be like, you should. Or I'll say, man, you should probably skip this. But for me, like, I love it because I love nostalgia. So that's what brought me in originally. And then I like a good story arc. And as we've already discussed, I think it has really come around. And I do think they do a good mix of the older and the younger generation, the sports aspect, you know, kind of working in some of that real karate stuff for people who are fans of karate and do know some things about karate. But then, like I said, even with the the love triangles and such, that's bringing in yet another type of viewer so now that we've gotten to season four they've got all of that down they're hitting all of those points but will everyone stick with it through the three seasons before maybe not but in this world of binging it's more likely that people will stick with it so i love it all right a guarded love it which i would agree with gen xers easy it's easy to say yeah there's a lot to like here there's Say a couple of moments where teenagers or supposed teenagers are either making out or in a um, like a locker room scene that get a little like, well, I hope this gets overdone soon. Um, <laughs> but that's just me. Millennials, I don't know if they'd find the right thing that they would key in on to, to find nostalgic here. And I don't know that they would resonate with the kids being represented on 
on screen or not. I would I would definitely say if you if you've been with Cobra Kai this whole time, then definitely keep watching. If if you're new to Cobra Kai and but you're in those age ranges that I think would work, then definitely pick it up. If you're somewhere in between, I don't know that you'll find what you want to watch here or not. Well said. Listeners, we have restrained ourselves as much as we possibly can for the last 28 minutes without trying to spoil things more than necessary to reveal our love it or leave it verdicts. But now... I'm bursting at the seams. Yeah. So we are going to have to talk about plot points and things that are going to spoil things, potentially even the very last scene of of the season. So if you do not want to be spoiled, you should turn off the podcast right now. If you are down to hear people that, that really enjoyed themselves talk about the show but maybe find a few faults with it, then keep on listening because here we go. Okay, so I would say that my only complaint, my only complaint, that's my uh, my drawl, would just be this weird waffling of teaching philosophies within the various senseis and, and dojos that got to be very like much like a tennis match. Like in one episode, they would tell the kids to do one thing, um, be patient or whatever, right? And then the next episode, they would say, be more aggressive. Why are you being so patient? It would be like this weird, like exact opposite of the thing that they said in the previous episode. I did, yes. Um, Kids were being pushed back and forth and back and forth. It seemed like it was supposed to be that head snapping, you know, left. Well, I was right in the middle of it, George. I was one of those kids. Yeah, exactly. Made you identify with them. Oh, it did its job well, I think. I guess. But I think that was the I think that was the point, the frustrating point of it. That's why at the very end of the season, not to quickly spoil it, the kids were like, "I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to combine both, and I'm going to try and win this thing." So that's how that's how Miyagi Do won a few of their matches. They're like, "Screw it! I'm not doing just this or just that." When they tied that in to the scene with Mr. Miyagi and the tree has to grow its own way, uh, yes, from Karate Kid Three. Oh, yeah. That was like, okay, all this shit's been worth it now. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is kind of deep for this show, but um, I found that part extremely interesting when the kids were like, I'm just going to do it my own way. And the, the, the flashback of the tree actually solidified this even more for me. Yes. Danielson wanted to do it his own way, but he didn't because he is of a generation where you're trained a certain way, you follow the rules, you do as you're told. So to me, the fact that these kids wanted to do it their way was a pure reflection of the world we live in right now and that Absolutely. generation. That's a great observation. You're here. I heard I hear that point completely. My my day job is unfortunately not that I get to deal with uh, pop culture media all day. I actually work in corporate training, and so the idea of of needing to kind of reconcile multiple generations in the same area and how they process information and then apply information is very much on the forefront of act- what I actually have to do f- for a living. Uh, but yeah, the the tree was like, here it is, dummy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that scene was there on multiple levels. Did you have any particular nitpicks with the show, Danny, or anything that was like, this is the best part of this whole thing? I had one thing that when you guys were talking about the the, stu- the teaching styles, I didn't notice that as much. The thing that bothered me the most, and I found, I see what they're doing as writers. 
worse, but it was a little unbelievable for me, was this back and forth with Crease. Oh, no, I'm a good guy. No, you're not a good guy. Like, that kind of bothered me, this whole, like, oh, we're going to turn it around and show his inner struggle with being mean or whatever. I didn't buy that part. Like, uh, they set him up for three seasons as being, or two seasons as being this monster. Yeah, two movies and two seasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this manipulative monster. Why would he have a change your heart so quickly, so easily? His whole character was, I don't change from the past. I live in that past. And I want to make that past the present. Him changing at the very end. I think it was just, I think they just did that just to emphasize that that Silva is a worse, Terry Silva is a worse bad guy than Kreese is. Like Kreese right. made him into, Kreese was Frankenstein and Silva became the monster. Yeah, I agree. It was very quickly that Terry gets there and uh, they start butting heads. And Kreese even starts to insist that he honor the the rank, I guess, of the their the various arrangements, the previous arrangements. And he was even like contradicting him in front of the kids and stuff. It was it was like, didn't you invite me to this thing? Well, <laughs> and, and I feel like the change in Terry too, like he had been all Zen and let this go or whatever for years, for decades. And then he he went pretty quickly back to being angry. Um, and like power hungry. And I found that to also be a little bit unbelievable. I mean, we definitely carry the things from our past, but if you had spent that much time letting that go and becoming a peaceful person, you would have an inner struggle. If you started being that way, you'd come home at night and be like, all right, you got to calm down. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so it was like, he just was like, man, these last 20 years, they meant nothing. <laughs> Well, this is this is one of the problems with having only ten episodes in a goddamn season. Give me twenty, exactly, so we can get four episodes of his uh, his change of heart. A little bit with Crease, they had laid a little of that groundwork in showing that he isn't simply just a black hat, mustache twisting bad guy. Say with his moments trying to help Tori and things, or offering a no strings supposedly place for Robbie to stay in the dojo. Showing uh, in the last season, I think it was where they showed where he came from and what he kind of dealt with growing up, and to a very small, tiny extent. So it was a little bit where they laid a, a tiny amount of a groundwork there to be like he has his reason. Yeah, I guess you're right. And he has a code. It's just not one that a lot of us agree with. I see what you're saying, but I felt like in those still things, like, like giving, well, but also giving Robbie the place. I felt like, yes, you said it was no strings. Okay. That was but air quotes. I saw it. <laughs> I know. I, I did it back to you. <laughs> um, but I felt like that was also an ulterior motive, like getting back at Johnny. Like everything had an ulterior motive or like, and even with Tori, like, okay, I'm going to help support you. Don't you know the struggles this girl has? But then he's like trying to make her into like his little evil fighting robot. Well, everything he did was pulling strings with every. Interesting. Do you think he even knows that? Oh, I, yes. I, I think the character is consciously aware of doing all that. Absolutely. So then his turn to the light, his Darth Vader moment <laughs> at the very end there is like not very well earned. Exactly. Yeah, because like at the end of the third season, he was about to kill Johnny. Why would he then turn and say, oh, no, Luke, please don't die. The Emperor is killing you. No, it, it didn't make sense, that turn. It didn't. I agree. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I think it was only done just to make Terry Silver be a big, the bigger bad guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Now, I, I guess I, I had forgotten some of the math. And since you just watched all of it, George, yes. you can remind me, what was the back and forth with Miguel, Robbie, Sam, and, and Tori? Like, what was that chronology of who was with whom and when? Okay, so Sam was with Miguel in the first season up until like the second to last, third to last episode to the last episode because Miguel got jealous that Robbie was hanging around her and tried to punch Robbie and mistakenly punched Sam. That ended their relationship. And then in the next season, Sam and Robbie were training together and then they fell in love and then Miguel couldn't handle it. But then Robbie kicked Miguel off of a off the side of the building or um, off the side of the railing and cracked his back and made him go running. So that ended Sam and Robbie's relationship. It's like, this is crazy. And then uh, season three, <laughs> Miguel and Sam get back together because they're trying to get Johnny and Daniel to work together. And Robbie gets out of prison, uh, out of juvie, and is like, no, what have you done? She, she, he's angry at them. Then in this one, they're, and you've seen this season, so yeah, I think it's where we last left off. I'd like to point out when you said, <laughs> when you said, this is crazy, I heard Vinny Barbarino. It was the funniest thing. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> this season, we were supposed to be perceiving that they still have eyes for others or is it jealousy or what do you think there's a mixture of hate and jealousy i guess does tori figure into any of these things or is it just more recently with robbie and that's it she had had a relationship with miguel right yes yes yeah she had a brief relationship with miguel until miguel kissed sam at a party i only know all this because it's very fresh in my mind i'm not like (laughs) stalking this show (laughs) And that's what broke up their relationship. It's it's a minefield. I think that Sam has. Uh, it's not a hero complex, I guess. When it's a girl, usually it's the usually they say that about males. But I think she's got this complex with like bad guys thinking, oh, but he's good. So I think that's her part of her thing with Robbie. When mm. she sees a moment of, oh, wait, there's good there, or maybe he does something really bad, and she thinks, like, oh, he's a better person than that. I feel like the, that's the what draws her to him. That's a good way to say it for women, yeah. And then the whole, like, I can change you. I love, I yeah. love that about women. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I also think he's the cutest character. So I always feel like when they cast somebody who's super cute, then that's why the girls are also going for them. That's funny how that works, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Wait, you're the best looking one. Aren't you the lead? (laughs) (laughs) What about you, uh, George? Did you have any nits or or high points for this season? A lot of it was high points. I, uh, I love the interaction with Johnny and Miguel during the season, how he was becoming more like a father figure than that fall of him saying, I love you, Robbie. And Miguel like is heartbreaking. I thought that was all like pretty well done. I agree. Yeah, because you could really feel the pathos, I guess, in the in that moment for Miguel, because he's never it all seems to be wound up in this other kid, Robbie, in terms of like, well, my girlfriend seems to want him and my father figure seems to want him and et cetera, et cetera. You could really feel it in that moment what about that end scene with the reveal of next season's uh new new addition to the sensei ranks chosen yeah i thought that was great i was like all right yay 
Um, I, I like Chosen as a character for some weird reason. I love this character, how they handle him in the show. Not so much in the second movie, but like in the show. Well, the way they characterized him is, you know, having learned from the dishonor that he suffered as a young man and turning that around to being a much better man, but then playing out this this supposed uh, sour grapes that he still felt toward Danielson, but actually didn't, but just kind of wanted, wanted to make Danielson kind of feel it for a while. I love that whole thing, actually, because he seemed like a pretty decent guy. I was going to say something as a joke, but now as I've sat here thinking about it, I actually think it could be a good storyline. I was going to say I would have liked it better if that was Hillary Swank standing there, like joking. But then I started thinking about it, and that actually could be a decent storyline. Bring in a female sensei. You know, now they've got the the female champion. I don't know. Maybe that could work. Outside of the show, Hillary Swank has worked with Netflix a few times now. And um, I don't know if you've noticed this, Danny, but it seems like when people start working with Netflix, they keep working with Netflix. If you actually look back, I mean, and I'm not talking about like the Disney because they bring in kids and then they kind of own them. But even if you see somebody on back in the day, a WB show, now CW, they seem to pop up. Like you'll be on a, a one of the shows that fails in the first season and then the next season they're in another pilot and then the next season they're in another pilot. That does seem to be something that happens with networks. I use the air quotes for you because um, I don't know. Are we calling them all networks? Is Netflix the network too? I don't know. It does seem to happen once they like someone that those teams work with some of the same people. She did a show called Away. I liked the series well enough. It seemed like uh, it seems like Netflix had a couple of um, We're Going to Mars shows all at once. I don't know if they used the same set, but they could have. It was like, we're going to get a lot of mileage out of our Mars set <laughs> or spaceship set. So they, they put out a few different things going to Mars. Probably showrunners know other people or like have worked on other shows with these actors and constantly bringing them back. I mean, Jacob and Peyton, uh, Eli and Tori, they worked on other kid shows together. One actor can bring in the other actor. And I, I imagine that happens a lot. I don't know much about how that stuff works in the movie industry. I'm only speculating yeah, I think you're right about the showrunners, casting directors, producers. I think once they've worked with someone and they like them, they like their work ethic. And then, I mean, it's just like people we know in real life, right? You think of something and automatically think of a certain person that fits with that fandom or that style or whatever. So I think it's the same for them. Sure. I mean, if in our other podcast at Pod Clubhouse, we cover the various incarnations of, of Yellowstone which has driven us into looking into Taylor Sheridan, the show's creator. If you start to look at his movies and other, other projects that he's been associated with, you'll see like starting back when he was an actor on Sons of Anarchy, you, you start to see all this connective tissue with people that he works with. And now they work with him again on these shows. And you start to see the same actors crop up over and over again. Like he made a movie called Wind River that had Jeremy Renner in it. And now you see Mayor of Kingstown on Paramount Plus. Guess who's the lead of that? Jeremy Renner. <laughs> yeah. Or that movie that came out on HBO earlier this year with Angelina Jolie that he wrote and directed that starred a kid. I forget. It was uh, the name of the actress, Finn Little. Who shows up to be the new kid on this season of, of Yellowstone? Finn Little. Oh, yeah. So you're saying we're going to see more of Cole Hauser? He's <laughs> I'm not sure about about him. <laughs> All that to say, thinking about Hillary Duff or even 
would it be off the table to have Jackie Chan show up as some other kind of role? He couldn't be Mr. Miyagi again, obviously, but could he be a Miyagi cousin or something? I don't know. Maybe. Would that be a jump the shark moment if Jackie Chan shows up? (laughs) There's a whole lot of shark jumping on that one. Yeah, I was going to say, what if they bring back at the next All Valley, like, they're like, oh, we've brought back another great champion, and it's the Smith kid. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Will Smith's the producer, so he's got his number. Yeah, see? <laughs> Those might be Jump the Shark moments. I'm not I'm not sure. <laughs> Could Hillary Swank coming in be a Jump the Shark moment? I don't think so, even though that movie, obviously, we don't even think of in the original Karate Kids, but she's such a good actress that I think that one will allow. The court will allow it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Any other any other parting thoughts on this season of Cobra Kai? Well, I'm excited to see what they do with next season. I am a little confused about this John Kreese storyline, but, you know, maybe next season it's going to be more believable for me. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. That's going to fall apart. Right. That seems very thin that this guy that was recently came off a probation is going to be able to like hold this lie together. Who's his only his only job in life in this show seems to be seeking approval. And so as an adult amongst kids, that was like an easier place for him to try to find it. But he didn't even do it there so well. Oh, wait, we're talking about the Atlanta, the guy who played the Atlanta bomber, that guy? Uh, Stingray. Yeah, yeah, okay. But will it happen in the first episode? No, it'll probably fall apart around episode five. <laughs> I'm a little worried. Are they setting this up like with this John Kreese, like, oh, I'm a good guy. I, you know, love Johnny, whatever. Are they setting this up that he's going to join forces with them too? Because that's going to be a little much for me. You might be able to accept, or I might be able to accept the idea that he, you know, a Vietnam vet, he has his reasons, he's got his code, et cetera, et cetera. And in his mind, he thinks that what he was doing was in the best interest of Johnny back in the day. The rest of the world saw what he was doing back in the day. It'd be harder to Cobra Kai his story. You know what I mean? Yeah. By that, I mean, do the same thing that Cobra Kai did for Johnny, but for John Kreese. Give us that alternate perspective because I think like you guys, I'm buying what you guys are saying. That he's consciously has an ulterior motive to, to any of the good deeds that he, that he does. Uh, what I think they're going to do is a faux change of heart for him. Like he's going to become subservient and, you know, be like, I'm sorry, you're right, Terry, and get out of jail. And Terry's going to, and then he's going to turn and switch on him, try and take Cobra Kai back. I think they could do play that angle, but I can't ever see him like, you know, saying, I'm the good guy now. I want to be here with you, Daniel. Teach me your ways or whatever. I just I just can't see that at all. You know that serious meter that we were talking about earlier? Part of that is that the stakes of the show, although they've gotten to the point of temporarily paralyzing someone, they've never killed anybody, right? Yeah. But Terry's crazy. That's true. He beat somebody to a bloody pulp. What if there is a redemption arc for Kreese, but Terry's got to kill him? I like the fact that this series doesn't go that far because it just doesn't feel like this series should be going in the realm of of death and murder. Um, Well, then it becomes like a soap opera. Yeah. Was it John Kreese's twin this entire time? No, we don't need any of that stuff. uh, (laughs) I I like how you think, though. Well, a, a certain amount of the back and forth between the various karate schools had a certain 
pro wrestling kind of oh yes <laughs> appeal Absolutely. to it. That's what I was thinking. This entire thing, it's like this is definitely pro wrestling drama. Like especially with the with the turning, like all the betrayals. Right. When we get to the turning, your ass is grass. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that voice. You need to use more of that. <laughs> what you gonna do? No. Uh, I think like Tori's gonna switch sides. Terry's gonna lose a lot of people. Then he's gonna get a lot of new eviler people on his side. It's gonna be. I hope that it's more of that same thing, not murder and mayhem. Murder and mayhem. Well, that could be a legit jump the shark moment then. Yeah. Dramatically, I could see where it makes sense, but not for this show. The only death we saw on the show was um, in season, what was it, two? Uh, yeah, one of the old Cobra Kai. Yeah, Tommy. Yeah, but yeah, he died in real life. That's the only, and that made sense. That wasn't somebody murdering him or anything like that. Well, it helped to serve this this story of Johnny's, you know, this idea of aging and what you intended to be, what you are, what you want to be, all those things at at war in Johnny's head and none of them adding up to anything that he ever wanted. Having to face mortality with uh, with this friend being like, you know, you're a lot closer to your time being up than you think, Johnny. In light of of all of those things, I still found myself really anticipating each new episode because like I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, the structure that has worked for them where the beginning of the episode kind of cures or or addresses whatever drama happened in the last episode and then some stirring the pot for a while and then some small cliffhanger at the end that makes you want to be like, well, I guess I got another half hour in me even though it's 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> um and it worked it, it i mean that i watched the whole thing in one night it was it worked danny you said it was two nights for you yeah I, I tried to pause and i wanted to make it last longer but i couldn't in terms of like pacing and building crescendo if you will to that to that tournament even though i i like the drama and they could have stretched it out a little bit more in terms of episodes i actually could have gotten to the tournament a little faster because i wasn't sure like where we were in chronology, you know, just like what time of the year are we in the valley? <laughs> well, the valley is apparently a special place because only those people live in it. There's no other people, just these people. Right. And um, you and then, therefore, you know, everyone in the valley. And it's funny because I lived in California and I feel like it's a relatively large place, but apparently it's not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And some people come there to buy cars. They weren't coming there to buy cars last season, which was a, a plot issue or, or it a story issue for Daniel. All of that stuff fell by the wayside. Like any, anything that wasn't karate wasn't as big a deal this time around. We started to mention the idea of how are these people managing their whole lives if everything seems to revolve around karate? Are we just supposed to, as the audience, be like, meh? Whatever, I don't care. This isn't that kind of show where I'm supposed to worry about how they're doing their taxes. I think it's the latter, yes. <laughs> yeah. This isn't Breaking Bad. Just, uh, <laughs> well, you know, we watch all kinds of shows, uh, Caroline and I, and for Pod Clubhouse. And so recently we got done with Succession, right? That's the kind of show where you oh, do I'm have to. That right now. Got to worry about everything on that show, right? It's a much more intense, uh, high stakes, very twisty and turny with, with little details mattering. That one I have to take breaks. I can't sit and just binge that one. It's too intense. 
you can't hear fuck off 80 times in a row. Uh, (laughs) 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 You know, you could go to Cameo uh, over Christmas and, and pay him something like 250 bucks and he'd, he'd tell you to fuck off if you wanted to, or, or you could send it to somebody. We all got to make money. Do you guys have any, any closing uh, commentary on, on uh, the fourth season of Cobra Kai? Are you ready to wrap this up? I loved it. George loved it. Danny. I love it, but they could bring back some more 80s music. I could stand that. Yeah, like I was saying, there's a nostalgia. Part of that was just Johnny trolling around in his car. I mean, as, as cringy as that moment was with Johnny trying to recruit teenage girls on the <laughs> field hockey field or whatever, that scene was... You know, uh, the corollary to him in his car playing the 80s yeah. music, doing the same kind of thing, not really knowing that what he was doing was wildly inappropriate. Those are the moments where we get more of that nostalgia, like the music, like his old beat up car. But I did love the scene with Miguel and Daniel where Daniel played the power ballads for him because I was a huge power ballad person to the point where I went through a phase of listening to REO, Air Supply, Chicago and my brother knocked on my door. My brother is six years older than me. We did not get along at the time. He knocked on my door very gently leaned his head in and said did you just break up with somebody? And I go, no, why? And he goes, what are you listening to this crap for? <laughs> so I love me a power ballad because I love listening to crap. John Sakata, the power of love guy. No, Peter Cetera saying Peter Cetera. Okay, so shit. no glory of love. Glory of love. Glory of love. Glory of power love. of love is Huey Lewis. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Peter Cetera, glory of love. Oh, I okay. like you said you're right three times. I knew I liked you, Paul. <laughs> well, you gotta, you gotta, you know, give credit where credit's due, right? <laughs> well, thanks for joining me on this. Love it or leave it, guys. As I said before, I, I do continue to love it and look forward to Cobra Kai. I don't recommend it to exactly 100% of, of my friends, but uh, I don't have a lot of friends in the age group that I don't recommend it to. So what's it matter, right? Exactly. Everyone else doesn't matter. Danny, why don't you tell the listeners that have made it this far where they could find you and what you've been working on lately? Oh, you can find me on my website, atxgossip.com, and at both Instagram and TikTok at atxgossip. TikTok is my new favorite social media platform, even though I might be out of the age demo. I love it. So I'll see you there. And George, nobody wants to find George. Yeah, I'm not a very interesting person. <laughs> he doesn't want to be found. You don't want to find him. It, it works out for George in that way. But we do enjoy when he joins us on our Cobra Kai review. So thank you very much for making the time and forcing your wife to watch 40 hours of TV. Thank you very much. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe to this podcast or any of the Pod Clubhouse podcasts uh, on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts. Please give us five stars and leave a review and help other people find our podcast. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.